Oh, by the way, <laughs> you guys might not know this, but last week there was a hypnotist. He convinced me that I was a soft, malleable metal with an atomic number of 82. I'm easily led. Oh, I love it. Hi, I'm Christine. And I'm Randy. And we <laughs> took a left, a at, left the at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Uh, coming at you from another secret location, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I always wondered, if a cow laughed, would milk come out of its nose? <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team that wonders if there are, why are there five syllables in the word monosyllabic? She installed a skylight in her condo, the people that live above her are furious, Nancy. <laughs> My, my mind was still on how utterly ridiculous that statement about the cow was. <laughs> I, was I, I was living well in the past. Happy, happy Mother's Day to everybody. <laughs> and he asked me last week if he needed a silencer to shoot a mime, Scott. Oh, that's horrible. And why is there light in this bat cave anyway? <laughs> Guys, welcome back. Hope you had a nice week. I think we're in a secret location, so nobody can get, <laughs> get pot show. Well, throw pot shots. I'm just wondering why the atheist the cave puns. here has a has a, a, a window. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's our light upon the world. We need to see out there, and it's for our own security. That's, That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. There's people. Some people out there might want to give us a few uh, a few <laughs> a few bullets our way. I welcome them. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, put you out, shot. we'll put you out, out in front as our shield then scott <laughs> guys welcome back i guess we're gonna do a bit of chit chat we got a great show today we'll be talking with robert m price the bible geek i can't wait for that that should be very interesting no we had carrier we had uh, fitzgerald a few, a few times and now we have robert price wow. the trifecta is done must have been in another since i've been around forever must That's have been that other podcast it was the other, was the other, <laughs> other podcast oh. we can't we can't start this week without talking about the elephant in the room of course which is the bc election that just happened mm-hmm. uh any thoughts uh, so now it turns out that at this point all the votes have not all been counted but there are 43 seats that have gone to the liberals uh, 41 to the ndp and three to the green Yay! and in, in this uh legislative assembly you need 44 seats to win a majority so now we looks like we're gonna have a minority liberal government it does. It's interesting that the Greens all of a sudden are the people in power. That part of it, I don't quite understand all of Canadian politics, but I do understand who who carries the exactly. power in their in their back pocket. And it seems like the Greens have all reached of a sudden, that status. All yeah. of a sudden, Andrew Weaver is the most powerful yeah. man in BC politics. Isn't that something? And that is a lesson for all the people out there that don't vote. They say, oh, it's, it doesn't change a thing. Uh, yeah, you know what? It just did. It did although the voter turnout was only 57%, uh-huh. which is not great. Uh, but uh, right there, we know that uh, since you need 44 for a majority, whatever uh, piece of legislature the uh, BC Liberals put forward, if, if because truly at this point, uh, Andrew Reaver could decide to support the uh, NDP. Yes, and you could, could end up with an NDP government. 
uh, that would form, right? So right now he's he's in charge in, in some in some weird way. Um, it's a nail biter. Yes, and they're still counting some ballots. And but anyway, and the funny thing is, is uh, people that have been following the show for a while. One of our very first interview was Adam Olson, who turned out to be one of the guys that was elected with the Greens this time too. Uh-huh. He was the interim uh, party leader at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, we interviewed him at the time, and uh, it was a nice interview and a nice fellow. And uh, now all of a sudden, he's an MLA. So that's very interesting. It is. You ought to have him back now. Yeah. I'm not going to ask you guys who, who or what you voted for. Uh, here in Abbotsford, of course, nothing's changed. It, it remained in the conservative. It never world. changes. Exactly. It's, it's it for the uh, liberal, uh, for maybe our uh, U.S. listeners out there. Uh, because you see B.C. liberal doesn't necessarily mean they're Democrats. They're actually the conservative. They just acquired the name liberal. So it's actually a, a conservative government that's most likely going to happen. I do my best well, to tip the balance, but every time I look at the voting results, whoever I voted for is sort of down at the, <laughs> down at the I think, oh, that's where the intelligent people are. <laughs> we ought to get together and have have a couple of meetings. But, of course, it's anonymous. You never know. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I never, ever really vote strategically. I always vote for the person I think that should go in there. Mm-hmm. And I know often, <laughs> nine out of ten, my vote doesn't really mean squat. Uh, and it doesn't really make much of a difference. But, yes, you know, it does. I, well, yes and no. Uh, but I sleep at night. You know, I, I can't bring myself to vote for somebody that I actually don't respect. Well, you vote your conscience. I, I vote you, my conscience. Okay, you, wait a minute. You can't bring yourself to vote for somebody you don't respect. When have you met a politician you do <laughs> respect? Actually, I usually make a point to go meet the politicians. That's what I usually do. I try, I try my best to go and uh, pick their brain as much as I can. Uh, there was actually a while there for the atheist group. We were trying to invite politicians to come and see us because mm-hmm. we wanted to show the politicians that atheists are not this little obscure group. There's a fair amount of us, and we we're actually a voting bloc. Uh, now, if we could get the atheists to stand together as one, then maybe this would happen. I think we had two come to our meeting. We had a representative from the Green Party mm-hmm. that came quite a while ago, and I. I we also to, had the the NDP come. The NDP, that's right. Yeah, it was a young fellow from the. Pre Bryant was his name, and uh, yeah. he also ran in this election as well. Uh, we uh, we had invited the liberals, but they never even answered. No. 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 Aird Flavel came from Aird the Flavel. Green Party. Yeah. There's also a couple of small independent guys that came. You know. Yeah. We just wanted to show so, that atheists are worth courting for uh, as far yes. as voting center. Yeah. And they both were very respectful, and we had, we had really, they had good presentations and Absolutely. good conversations. So, so what, we'll are the, what are the, uh, what's the possible outcome now uh, from the fallout from this election? You'll have to be a bit more specific on your question well, here. Well, we've got a minority government. What plans are going to be put forward? I'd like to know personally when the government's going to fold. Well... Minority governments do have a bit of a history of folding a bit quicker than uh, not necessarily lasting the four years. But this is my personal opinion. It's only worth that much. I think that a lot of people have voter fatigue already about this. And I don't think the Greens are willing to go out there to try to necessarily take out the legs of the uh, next government. Uh, they're in a position of power and right now. So if they were to call for another election right now, they might actually lose that advantage. That's true. Uh, uh, however, however, position of power only means something if you can wield it. Yes. So I think I if, think I, if all you can do is is warn the government not to go somewhere, and then that vote never happens, because that would lead to a non-confidence. Then what power do you actually wield? Well, I think we're going to see a, maybe a great big game of chicken there between oh. Andrew Weaver and Christy Clark. 
Of course, all of our Who's American listeners are now totally confused. Your your task, American listeners, are to look up parliamentary governments, and you will understand what we're talking about, and your world will widen by quite a bit. Yes, it's not like the U.S. It's not at all like the U.S. Um, Moving on, Facebook shuts down Atheist Republic. Wow. You can see that. that. For for supposedly being anti-Muslim. Now, Facebook uh, Atheist Republic uh, group uh, actually is the largest Facebook group of uh, atheists uh, in the world. It has 1.6 million followers. Uh, but there's a lot of Muslim groups that are apparently targeting atheist groups all over the place in, in so, on social media. Um, personally, I suspect what they call astroturfing. Mm. It's where you give bad reviews and you just cry wolf like you've been hurt or whatever. And of course, Facebook is kind of obliged to take a look into it. If enough complaints are lodged and if Facebook suspends the page, uh, other groups have been shut down, uh, like the Arab Atheist Network, that's 23,000 followers, uh, the Radical Atheist Without Borders, uh, Human Atheist, Humanitarian Non-Religious, Arab Atheist Forum Network, and more. Uh, now to the point, there's actually a change.org petition to uh, that's being sent to Facebook saying, you know what, you guys need to really start looking into this because this is ridiculous. Facebook hasn't um, well, they, they, said they, anything they, yet. They took it off. They put it back on, but it seems to be bouncing off and on. There's been a couple of times now. Atheist Republicans hmm. was taken off the feed and then put back on. So well, they ha- they <coughs> need to have a universal policy then for various websites. That obviously it's mm-hmm. at this point it's beyond what they they understand. The funny thing about it is there are actual websites or or, or Facebook groups out there that are actually dedicated to anti-Muslims. There are, actual, uh, there are actual groups out there that do that. Atheist Republic is not one of those. So why <coughs> would you target Atheist Republic? And I'll That's what I said. Obviously, this is something that they really haven't given a, a lot a, of research. They, they just don't. Uh, maybe, who knows? But they really need to, maybe the petition, but they need you know letters written to I'm, them explaining uh, uh, what the situation is. I think is. I'm glad I'm not on Facebook. Yeah. So it's, it seems that to me there's a concerted effort from uh, Islamic atheists to shut down atheist groups, mm-hmm. which I can't really blame them in a sense because, you know what, we are probably the biggest threat to their religion. I have a feeling it's going to it's going to turn out well, um, um, but it, it may take some time. But I, I, have, I really have a strong feeling that things will be uh, put to rights mm-hmm. by Facebook. I've got this wonderful story. Did you guys hear the story about this Alberta notosaur that went on display at the Royal Tyrell Museum? This no. is a this this is a this is a this is a mummy dinosaur they sort of found. It's exceptionally well preserved, out of the uh, out of Fort McMurray, close to Fort McMurray. It was discovered in 2011 mm-hmm. by a mining operation, and they finally they finally just now put it on display at the Royal Tyrell Museum in Drumheller. The skin, the guts are intact. A notosaur, for those of you who know who don't know dinosaurs, is one of those. They, they call them like those tank dinosaurs. You know, they're they're, they're herbivores. They walk on all four legs. They 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 got this really thick. Uh, armored skin spikes mm-hmm. and everything. They're uh, they're cousins of the ankylosaur families. Okay. Mm. Uh, the face, the, the the face, the scales, everything is preserved. Wow. They got they got the front half of the uh, of the beast right, and uh, the face this uh, the face remains in a frozen reptilian gaze. Wow. They think this animal actually drowned and actually somehow floated at some point and and then sank to the bottom of a sea, and then it was quickly buried. And uh, then the 
What a find. 65 million years later, they, we find here in the, in the tar sands. And what a find indeed, because this, you have every little, the guts are intact. Everything's intact wow. in this creature. You know, the look, it's not a skeleton. You actually have the skin and everything. It's a fantastic, I can't wait. Now I have to go do a road trip to, to the Royal Tyrell just to see that piece. Oh, the yeah. pictures are absolutely amazing. We might have to take a road trip. We just might have to do that, yeah. Sounds good to me. I'm packing. As soon as the road, I'm packing, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to finish, finish on a lighter note. Um, there's, uh, it's a bit of an older story. Did you guys hear about this Easter cross that appeared on Gay Street in Greenwich Village in New York City? There was this, uh, this big cross, full-size cross, that appeared uh, around Easter. It was chained and locked. And over the night, next nine days, an anonymous, the anonymous owner would return and move it and lock it down again. It was a clear anti-gay message. Right, and Greenwich Village happens to be uh, a place where there are a, a lot of gay residents exactly. and businesses. Yeah. Well, one sure. of the residents, his name is Mikal Ladder, tried to have the authorities remove it, and they didn't really do anything about it. So what they did is they painted it. They painted <laughs> it rainbow <laughs> color. I love uh-huh. it. They changed the lock, and they added their own lock, and they're now calling it the Love Cross. And they left a message saying, sorry, you can't move your cross. We added our own love lock and glued both keyholes. The cross <laughs> now belongs to the street. Boom. Wow. That's how you do it. Isn't that, that that's, that is that's the way revenge should work. That, that is absolutely beautiful. That is how <laughs> you do it. That absolutely. gorgeous. Absolutely. So I thought it was a good way to finish our little chit-chat. It is. So are you ready for a distinct history? or? Well, uh, how about a little quack watch today? Let's do a so little do quack watch. Quack. This, is, this is an in- I think they're all interesting. But quack watch. What do I know? Your, your quack mean, watches always are interesting. They are. Today's quack watch involves a, um, well, I'll, I'll let you decide. There's part, part quack, part pseudoscience, part space science, um, Part of a lot of different things. It's called radionics. Either of you heard oh, of radionics? Radionics. Radio- I know it sounds great. Is that what happened it? to Spider Man? Okay, radionics is a system of alter uh, alternative medicine based on the supposition that detectable electromagnetic radiation, which is wonderful, detectable electromagnetic radiation emits. Emitted by living matter can be interpreted diagnostically and transmitted to treat illness by complex electrical instruments. <laughs> this, I know. Did you understand any? Of I that understood at all? the okay. whole thing. <laughs> that whole thing. That everything emits a form of radiation, like radio waves, okay. and those radio waves or um, radi- um, radiation waves can be emitted by people in a healthy state and also emitted by people in an unhealthy state. So therefore, they're subject to be diagnosed and and changed electronically into healthy waves so that people um, can be um, cured of whatever ails them, as they say in Quack Watch land. So radionics, and the interesting thing about radionics is that this goes way back to the early 1900s. And Albert Abrams was the fellow that developed this. He became a millionaire by leasing radionic machines that he built um, to people and then teaching them how to use these machines to cure themselves. And they were the ultimate little black 
um, uh, Wizard of Oz black boxes with the dials and knobs and all kinds of wonderful things. And so he was going for, for quite a while. And he, what, what he, he would tell people was that each of the, the waves had certain energy frequencies moving through their body that would define health. So he would uh, define the health, and then he would bring people back uh, for however many sessions that they needed in order to, um, to, to change their waves into positive energy. You were, you, uh, you were saying something uh, earlier, Kevin, about uh, your atomic weight or something. <laughs> when we were kidding, your atomic being 82. Well, that's exactly what... Albert Adams would do. He'd say, your rate or your value, you know, is such and such a number. Therefore, you have to have a, a cancer, you have pleurisy, you have migraine headaches. Uh. And so he, he would diagnose these waves according, he'd give them a rate. Well, he was doing really, really well with this scam and actually um, had disciples. And one of his, fam his most famous disciples was uh, a chiropractor whose name was Ruth Drown. And she was from Los Angeles, and she had actually worked for the Edison Company. So she understood electricity, mm -hmm. and she understood how to make little black boxes, and she was also a chiropractor and a disciple of Adam. So she put those three things together, the little black box, uh, radiation waves, and a knowledge of how the, the body works and so forth. And she, I think, was an actual disciple. I think initially she, she started out thinking that she was really going to, to, to help human beings. So she had a, um, a diagnostic machine that she called radio vision, a radio vision instrument, and then she had her curative little black box that she called a homo vibraray. Now, of course, if you're a scientific skeptic, you'd know that if it was a homo vibraray, it had to be good. There's just <laughs> you know, homo no, vibraray. Nothing, yeah, nothing there that, that would like raise something any. Something a super villain would have been. Yeah, and I so want people to picture Ghostbusters and that little machine he held up. <laughs> that the little wings would come up and. Yeah, she she was in Los Angeles, and um, so she would have she did two things. She would have sessions for thirty five dollars a piece, or she would sell the box for five hundred and some odd bucks, so that people could cure their families. Oh, and wow. she would she would you know be able to sell them the box and teach them how to use it. But her diagnostics were so far out that um, they were actually checked at one point by the American Medical Association at the University of Chicago, and they she gave them um, some samples, and they were so outrageous that they, they knew you know it, it was a scam. And one of the ways that she would diagnose was she'd take a drop of blood on a blotting paper, put it in the diagnostic machine, and whether you were there or not, whether it was a year ago that she got that blood or not, she could tell at a distance or wherever you were from that blood sample. <laughs> and she could put that blood sample through some of her little rigmarole testing and actually, um, as she said, get an x-ray picture of what that drop of blood 
you know, really? came from. Harry oh, Potter. she was. Harry Potter could do no better. Harry, Harry, <laughs> absolutely. So finally, she had treated about 35,000 patients, and the Los Angeles police sent an undercover woman in. Um, supposedly saying that she had three children and she wanted the diagnosis. And, and so um, when Ruth did the diagnostics on the blood, she said, well, one of them had, you know, um, this kind of a crippling disease and oh. this one had this kind of crippling disease, and, which was really wonderful because the undercover agent had brought blood from a sheep, a turkey, and a chicken. <laughs> so <laughs> that sort of... <laughs> Your son seems to have a thing with feathers. <laughs> some some things, you know. So there there she went, and she ended up in jail. She died, and then her daughter, who was also a chiropractor, went with her. Now, the interesting thing is this was back in the 50s and 60s, and you'd think that the little black box would have, because it was a scam, disappeared. Oh, no. In Nova oh, Scotia, as we speak, there is a... Um, a, a radionic school. No. No. Yes, and they in do, Nova Scotia? In Nova. It's the Institute of Canada, the Radionics and Dowsing Institute of Canada. Oh. Radionics and, and dowsing? Dowsing. Oh, That's my. The, oh. The, not the dowsing when you take the trees, but the dowsing when you have a crystal or something yeah, like that. Yeah, when you try to find water and something. No, no, no. Yeah, that, but dowsing. That's one type. Dowsing when it has to do with radionics and other types of woo-woo is the a, a crystal on a pendulum and you put the pendulum over whatever part of the body that oh, you okay, think is okay. and whatever way that pendulum goes that's what the illness is so you have to be trained to t so the the um the description of the radionics training in Nova Scotia, then they can do this by mail. You send them the money by credit card or whatever. They'll send you the machine and videos on how to how to be a practitioner. And um, <laughs> they, they say that if you do it, most students find the training sufficiently well-organized and comprehensive that they have little need for a tutor. So you know how mm. professional these guys are. So they, there's one in Nova Scotia, there's um, an English society in the UK that has to do with radionics, and there were several in the United States. I was just really shocked <laughs> to, to find. The, but the interesting thing to me is that when you talk about um, uh, uh, waves, radio waves, or um, radiation emanating from the body, if you just kind of you know, suspend your belief for just a minute, you go right to Star Trek and Bones. <laughs> because he's got those little devices, you know, that, um, that uh, are able to detect the different waves. So that's Ruth Downs. But one of the interesting things I found is that there's a, uh, a website called Sniggle, S-N-I-G-G-L-E, which has to do with skeptics. And the guy who is um, the head of Sniggle, um, when he was, uh, uh, David Gross, when he was explaining radionics and talking about um, the, the, the quacks, he, he wrote this at the end, and I, I think this is, it's going to take a minute, 
But in talking about quacks, I, I, I think this is significant and we need to keep this in mind. Mm. He says, it's cheap and easy to determine that the apparatus and theory of radionics is complete bunk. The fact is, though, that as a form of faith healing, it does heal some people with remarkable success, and a success that medical science might be unable to match with its techniques. Medicine has long acknowledged that in order to scientifically test the efficacy of a new medicine, for instance, it must be compared to the effects of a placebo administered with equal solemnity, ritual, and belief. This is because the solemnity and ritual and belief can themselves heal. Establishment medicine often seems to treat this as an inconvenient fog that makes the respectable diagnosis of physical ailments with chemical remedies more difficult. Faith healers, like radionics practitioners, use placebo healing as a technology, intuiting that to master the authoritative trappings of a cure may heal more patients than a conservative and prudent scientific diagnostics and treatment. And he says, in some patients, a placebic cure of their love lives or their terrible commute or rotten landlord, or perhaps more importantly, the treatment by a medical practitioner who agrees that these environmental irritants are to blame, at least in part for the problem, may lead to better results for the patient than all the scientifically proven treatments of scientific medicine. And then he says, I happen to believe in the nostrums and rituals of establishment medicine, and I have no patience for a healer who wants to clear my chakras with, with chai crystals. But on the <laughs> other hand, an MD in a white lab coat with a stethoscope can boggle me with equally nonsensical diagnoses and courses of treatment expressed in the language that I respect, even if I don't fully understand, and have confidence in, and I'm sold. So here's some ethical questions for MDs. If you have no idea what's wrong with a patient and don't really know how to proceed or know of no therapy that's likely to promote healing for a particular patient, are you honest with your patient? It's better to honestly confess the limitations of medical knowledge and technique or is it better to honestly confess the limitations of medical knowledge and technique, or is it better to put your hard-earned trappings of medical authority to good use in the theatrical creation of a potent placebo cure? Interesting. That's yeah. a, those are good questions indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, radionics is alive and well, waiting for Bones and Dr. Spock. <laughs> and who knows, maybe we do emit you know, radiation waves. Yeah, if your name is Bruce Banner, you do. You're yeah. an incredible Hulk, and you that's emit gamma radiation, well, but aside that, that's right. we, we do emit... Uh, Heat radiation? We don't emit radiation, but we do have magnetic fields. We do. Well, we have iron in our blood. We do. Iron is a natural magnetic material. So... But Which is why now there are MRIs affect, and PET scans To say that you can CT. affect your health with radio... I work with radios... For 30 years, I worked with radios. You can't affect your health with radios, other than to give yourself cancer. <laughs> what about if I use those fridge magnets and I start putting them strategically all over my body? They tried think, that. Wasn't yeah. there a, there was a hoo-hoo on that one too? <laughs> or woo-woo. No, I understand. Magnetic the, therapy? The body, the body is designed to heal itself in a way. And, you know, medicine is essentially to make it work faster, right? 
because if <laughs> because otherwise your life might be at risk. Yeah, but it's interesting that David Gross points out that, you know, doctors have their own form of scientific woo-woo that they say, you know, take this chemical, you know, do that um, um, radiation cure and so forth and so on. And sometimes it's just, I don't know what to do with you, so here's a pill. Sure. And is that a placebo? Is that really good medicine? It's so a good question. Well, I, I think a lot of our medicine's not good medicine. Yeah. But at the same time. But it's scientifically based. Well, yeah. no. It's also when the best we have a drug. Yeah. When they give you a drug, that drug has been studied and studied and studied, and they know what the effects of that drug are on the body. Right. They know what it does to the body. There's also the issue that you have to remember that um, I don't think a patient would be happy with the idea of, I have no idea what you, what's wrong with you. I don't think they would... Take that. I, I would actually appreciate a doctor who told me, I have no idea. We're going to send you to a specialist. Yeah, but even if the specialist says, I have no idea, what's wrong with you? Then I don't think, I don't think a patient, I don't think that's good for the patient. The patient would probably panic or, you know, it could make things worse. Sure. Emotional state of the patient. Well, what's, what's worse? Saying, I don't know what's the matter with you, so we're going to have to do some research or send you to a specialist. Or saying, yeah, I think it's all in your head. But here's the sugar pen. <laughs> you know they're not well, going to be that blunt, they, or they're going yes, to say, they are. They "Take take two aspirin and and you know call me call they, me in the morning, or let's try this pill." They did that in Abbotsford. We lost a child and we lost okay. an older lady mm -hmm. uh, because they were sent home from the emergency room. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it it does happen. It does. Right. All right. Well. It does. That's that's not to say that one that you know that we need to think more about the quacks because the, the medical doctors fail us every now and then. It's just something that ethically you have to keep you have to keep in mind whether whether you're going to go with a scientific well, medic. I, medic I worry. I worry that the quacks are winning though. The the quacks are getting this. Uh, uh, people want to believe in them. There's no foundation for what they're believing in. There's no. There's no science behind it at all. Yeah. It's and, and it's very scary that people are placing their lives in the hands of uh, homeopaths and, and quacks without any scientific foundation behind the remedies that, they're being, that are being proposed and pushed on them. Uh, wow. Yeah. I agree. That's true. And, uh, I, and just to play devil's advocate... It, when you put your, when you when you you put yourself in the hands of a medical incompetent, and follow their advice, and that happens as well. Quite you, a lot. Sometimes you're better off going where you may not get any better, but you're not going to get worse. You, you might, yeah. you know, it might relieve some of the stress of being ill. Hard to tell. No, you know, it's a good discussion. I'd love to have a quack. Mm. I'd love to have someone from alternative medicine, and a physician on our show and be able to hey. discuss the pros and cons. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. But in the meantime, let's do our Here segment we that we always like, Another Brilliant Moment, brought to you by religion. You know, last week we discussed uh, how, uh, briefly, how uh, Stephen Fry was in trouble for blasphemy. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to report that the Ireland dropped those charges. Because well, it was just time. stupid to begin with. Should, yeah, shouldn't have done it in the first place. And uh, by the way, Ireland, come on. This law was enacted in 2009. Please, come on. Give it a break. Uh, but speaking of uh, blasphemy, did you guys know that uh, there's a politician named um, Mr. Purnama, and he denied blasphemy and plans to appeal against his sentence. This is the outgoing governor of Jakarta, and he's been jailed for two years for blasphemy. 
after the judge has handed down a sentence that he that was harsher than expected. His name is Basuki. I'm gonna massacre this. Basuki Chahaja Pornama, also known as a hawk. I don't know. <laughs> he was accused of insulting Islam by referring a verse of the Quran in a campaign speech last year. Oh. And kind of want to bring this to the attention of people because you know they always talk about oh Islam. It's not like it is in Saudi Arabia. Well, you know what? This is Indonesia. They always pop out Indonesia being so progressive. Well, there you go. Blasphemy in Indonesia. <laughs> so his case was seen as a test of the country's religious tolerance. He's been taken into custody immediately after the verdict was read out. And uh, his deputy will govern Jakarta until the term end in October. Um, well, hopefully Canada's not well on its way to get rid of the blasphemy laws that are on the books. Yeah, he apparently implied that Islamic leaders were trying to trick voters by using a verse in the Quran to argue that Muslims should not vote for non-Muslim leaders. And apparently his remarks, which were widely shared in an edited video, sparked an outrage among the religious hardliners, uh, which were... Uh, which were uh, and then they staged regular large rallies calling for him to face trial. So, there you go. Ah, yes. So we have a, uh, uh, what is it? Apparently it's a progressive Islamic country. Law by mob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, there you go. This is supposedly the country, Indonesia, that is so progressive. Hey, all these religious people called for, I'm sorry, sir, but we have to arrest you and charge you and send you to jail because the mob said so. Yeah. And for blasphemy, right? For blasphemy. Oh, stupid story. Another story. Um... Speaking of Indonesia, <laughs> this bastion of progressiveness, apparently, which is Indonesia, uh, a gay couple could be punished with 80 lashes after vigilantes filmed them having sex in Indonesia. Uh. Amid international alarm over growing restriction on the country's LGBT community. They would be the first men to be caned for same-sex relations under a new code of Sharia law implemented in Muslim-majority Aceh province. Who was it that filmed them? I'm getting to that Uh, the lead prosecutor claimed that the two defendants aged 20 and 23 had confessed to being in a gay relationship during a court hearing they were arrested after local vigilantes in the city of Banda Ase suspected them of being a couple and set out to catch them having sex so they were stalked those are the guys that that should no 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 being gay is way worse don't you know Uh, (laughs) well that's true i was i was sort of in a in a fantasy thinking in a in the ideal situation those would be the guys that i I would like to see canada bring in a uh a movement legal movement to uh why can't we extradite these guys here and bring them bring them to canada instead of letting them face some kind of horrible condition there let them come to canada provide them with a place to live Maybe they'll be productive members of society over here because obviously the society they're in is really messed up. Mm, exactly. Uh, so uh, the mobile phone footage circulated online and it was used as evidence for the prosecution shows that one of the men naked and visibly distressed as he calls for help on his mobile phone. The second man is seen being repeatedly pushed by another man who is preventing the couple from leaving the rooms as he begs, please, brother, please stop, blah, blah. So these guys are basically following these guys. They sort of catch them in the act and then they're holding them like a citizen's arrest until they can be... That's, that's the yeah. horrible part. That, that's the really horrible part of that So a panel story. of three Sharia judges will announce its verdicts oh. next week with the prosecutor claiming the defendants turned down... The, this, this is a good one. The prosecutor claims the, defense, the defendants turned down the court's offer of a defense lawyer. Sure they sure did. Sure they did. Sure they did. 
So the Sharia, uh, Sharia code allows up to 100 lashes for morality Ooh. offenses. Maybe they, maybe they offered one of the vigilantes as the defense lawyer, so they turned him down. These offenses, oh. these morality offenses, include homosexual sex, adultery, gambling, drinking alcohol, women who wear tight clothes, or men who skip Friday prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so apparently Indonesia is yeah. this uh, wonderful, wonderful progressive, uh, and Islam is not at all the problem here. No, no, no. What are you talking about? I mean, this one of those societies where people who are not in the mainstream just must live in fear every day oh, that they're going insane. to be observed or but watched not, or turned. We're not in. supposed to bring up Islamophobia. This, no. this is all wrong. Well, this is this is blasphemy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, like I've said many, many, many times before, I have no problem with the average Muslim person. I do have a problem with Islam. I really do. And I don't care how much you try to sugarcoat it. It's slipstick on a pig. You know, it's, it's just as bad as Christianity. They should, they, I can't wait for these religions to die. They need to die for humanity to move forward anyway. Wow. So what? Okay, this is really hitting a depressing note. <laughs> got to do something. Well, this. let's do something. Let's go to commercial then, and let's come back with Robert M. Price, the Bible Geek. Stay with us. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Ray Comfort, his big stumper was literally, which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. (laughs) Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? Do you know where Saskatchewan is? Probably not. It's in Canada. If you do, you might know a city named Regina. In Regina, there's a studio. And in that studio, there are, at least once a month, a bunch of skeptical atheist geeks and goofballs who get together to do a podcast. We are the Brainstorm Crew, and we're trying to help spread a bit of reason and critical thinking while still having fun. Never taking things too seriously, but still not accepting everything we're told, we go through different topics, exploring them in depth, and often disagreeing. We try to stick to provable facts, and we never trust a myth. That's why we say we're woo-free since 2013. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spreaker under Brainstorm. Or check out our website, brainstormblog.net. I can't promise you'll always agree with us, but I can promise you'll have fun listening to us. Interested in a particular topic? You ever wonder where we find all this information? The Common Sense Canadian is a forum for critical discussion of the key issues shaping our world today. Water, energy, food security, and how we manage our resources to the public benefit while preserving our environment. So go to commonsensecanadian.ca. It's uncommonly sensible. Every night on television we see satire, we see comedy, we see people poking fun at politicians at all sorts of things. Why should religion, especially the Muslim religion, why should that be immune from people making fun of it? Not that this is making fun of it, I understand, but even so, why should you think that Islam should be uniquely immune from the things that politicians are not immune from and the rest of us are not immune from? Why are you so privileged in taking offense? And we're back. And we have online with us Dr. Robert M. Price. Uh, he is the host of the Bible Geek. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Price for, with, to the show. Doctor, welcome. So, welcome for. Ah, I can't even speak. 
You know, I uh, think uh, there's a typo there. Instead of dancer, it probably should be stumbler or lurcher. <laughs> but uh, other than that, then snappy dresser. Well, if, if you consider uh, pretty much a burlap sack, uh, then uh, dapper. I guess that's me. Yeah. Yeah, but, but you you haven't seen us over here behind the microphone. Yes, either, so right. in, by comparison, sir, you are snappy. <laughs> At least you're wearing a burlap sack. <laughs> that's right. Well, it, you could. Tell the difference. I'm not, but I'm such a slob. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this, this show will now be called the Naked Left of the Valley That's Show. Right. I was going to say, at least he's clothed. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Not like the Garrison demoniac. <laughs> at least not in that respect. D- Dr. Price, you're very well known down south of the 49th. You might not be as well known up here uh, north in Canada. Uh, would you be so kind to give us a Reader's Digest of who Robert M. Price is? Well, I uh, have worked uh, as a student uh, leader for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship long, long ago, and I was a devout churchgoer, and uh, I uh, changed my views at one point. I guess probably the hinge was around 1977 uh, when uh, wider reading uh, abused me of the notions I'd had about uh, the defense of the faith and and all of that, and I went on a period of uh, searching and read all kinds of theologians and read about other religions and criticisms of religion, and I emerged uh, as what I guess I still am, a kind of uh, friendly opponent uh, of uh, organized religion and and Christianity in particular. Uh, I regard all of it as a fascinating uh, creation of the human spirit, and uh, and therefore uh, it's lovable and admirable in many ways. I just don't take any of it uh, literally. And uh, so I continue to study it with, with great fascination, and that's led to uh, my uh, involvement at different times with the the uh, Council for Secular Humanism and uh, other outfits, and uh, I have started doing podcasts like the the Bible Geek and the Human Bible and uh, also the Lovecraft Geek, and in all of these I reply to listener questions sent me by email. I've written a whole mess of books generally issued by small publishers, uh, books, I guess the biggest publisher is the Prometheus, and uh, with them I've published books like uh, uh, the, uh, the Incredible Shrinking Son of Man, uh, Deconstructing Jesus, uh, The Paperback Apocalypse, and, and various others, and then other books with American Atheist Press, and uh, Signature Books, Intellectual Press, and they're all generally on the Bible or religion, but I, I also have published short stories and edited anthologies of uh, of horror fiction as well in the vein of H.P. Lovecraft. And I sort of keep uh, my fingers in all these things, and I write a monthly blog, uh, the Zarathustra Speaks, and uh, have a Patreon site and a website with an archive of my stories, sermons, articles, etc. So... I'm doing all sorts of uh, stuff. Uh, goodness gracious. You know, I, I usually say that, I, I have said in the past that I thought that Arn Ra was the hardest working man in atheism. I might have to revise that after hearing what you just said here on the show. My, my goodness, sir. Well, I still, he's probably still ahead of me as a workaholic. <laughs> he's, he's an amazing fellow. Yes. I, uh, you and I had the pleasure of meeting very briefly at the Maginot Religion a couple of years ago. I, I gave the Robert Price a, a bottle of uh, Canadian rum. <laughs> 
Crown Royal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate that. I do remember. <laughs> Some of it, anyway. Yeah, I, I, I'm not memorable, but the alcohol was. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us, uh, Dr. Price. I certainly appreciate that. Um, the genesis of the show was that I was uh, discussing... Um, Christian, uh, the historicity of Jesus with a, uh, a Christian one time, and uh, he ch- he challenged me by asking me which characters I thought in the Bible were true or were not. He asked me, did I think Paul was a real person? And then I started thinking, you know, exactly which of those characters are fictitious or do we feel are fictitious, and who who else should I ask that question to but Robert M. Price? So uh, this is a very broad question, sir. I guess it will probably take the remainder of the show. But who do you feel in your mind is a, a character, a, a real person in the, the in the characters of the Bible as compared to the ones that we are probably safe to say they were mythical? I would say that in the Old Testament, you have uh, several of the kings of Israel and Judah who were very likely historical figures. Uh, For instance, there are extra-biblical references to Israel, the northern kingdom, and they call it uh, the House of Omri. I believe that phrase occurs in the Bible as well, uh, named after uh, Omri, a major king, then names another version of the more familiar Omar. And uh, there, there must have been uh, several. Uh, this is ironic because, in many ways, these are the least interesting characters in the Bible. <laughs> but before them, like it seems to me that Saul, David, and Solomon, for instance, probably were not historical figures. Uh, I have my doubts about uh, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, who were right after. Solomon. Uh, there's the reason for doubting Solomon and David is the stories that uh, deal with them have an awful lot to do with um, the uh, planning for or the building of the Jerusalem temple. And uh, archaeological evidence, or the lack of it, casts real doubt as to whether there ever was such a structure. And if that goes, uh, Solomon sort of goes with it because there's uh, there's no real evidence for that any more than there is for the Exodus, uh, which part is one of the reasons uh, that uh, Moses is not to be considered historical. But I'd say uh, nobody before these uh, later kings in the Old Testament and a few non-Israelite ones, like we know there was a Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we know there was a Belshazzar uh, in, in Babylon, we know there was Cyrus the Persian, though the Bible sometimes gets wrong uh, who was a king, who was a regent, and all that, but at least they were historical characters. Uh, whether Ezra and Nehemiah, a more recent figure, still existed, that's up in the air. They, they might have existed, but they could just be fictional uh, faces for the, the group sent by Persia to uh, sort of recreate uh, Jewish religion after the exile. Uh, the Maccabees uh, are uh, certainly historical figures. They're mentioned in Josephus's history, and uh, they left enough of a mark that you couldn't really explain the, the subsequent history without them, and they're, they're fighting against the Seleucid Empire and so forth. 
then when you get into New Testament times, it's pretty clear that Herod the Great existed, though not so clear that the slaughter of the innocents, the pretty much the only reason he's mentioned in the Gospels, is it was not clear that that is historical. It seems to be a rewrite of Josephus the historian's account of the nativity of Moses. And uh, so there was a Herod the Great, but what we read about him, not so sure. Um, similarly, Herod Antipas and Archelaus are mentioned, and they're the stories there are a bit less colorful, but there's no reason to doubt they existed. Uh, Joseph Caiaphas, the high priest, yeah, they found his tomb. We know he existed, but again, the problem is what the the gospels say about these these people uh, is highly dubious. Uh, the the notion that they were having a trial or, or even a hearing for Jesus on Passover Eve is really absurd. It's like whoever wrote this was not aware that all devout Jews had to be at home on this highest of holy days and got the high priest uh, in night court. Uh, not likely. Uh, and uh, so the character existed. It's much like in in some of the Hellenistic novels where. Actual kings and governors are, are mentioned, but just like in a historical novel today. And uh, I was watching a, an episode of The Rifleman the other day, and they had uh, General Sheridan, uh, who was a, a famous character in the, the war between the states. Well, he never met the rifleman, because the rifleman never existed. And so there, there's that kind of thing, you know, docudramas. Uh, then uh, Pontius Pilate, we certainly know uh, about him from a couple of writers, Philo of Alexandria and, uh, J again, Josephus. But everything they tell us about him uh, makes it impossible to believe the central thing the Gospels tell us about him, namely that he was trying his hardest to uh, set Jesus free, but was intimidated into letting him, uh, letting uh, uh Barabbas go and, and condemning Jesus to the cross. There's no way this guy would have uh, shown clemency and uh, so forth. Uh, then with Jesus, of course, there's the uh, 64,000 denarii question. Uh, did Jesus exist? And of course he might have, but the problem is that, in my opinion, the evidence for him is not as strong. I mean, it might be that most of the Gospels are fictitious anyway, and there could still have been a historical Jesus, just like Pilate. There was a Pilate, but the material about him in the Gospels is unreliable. Could be the same with Jesus, and most critical scholars think that, but uh, I don't. Uh, there's no way to know, but it seems to me that there really is no good evidence uh, of Jesus, and every just about every story in the Gospels looks to me like it was written up from a, an Old Testament story with, with the names changed. Some are less obvious than others, but a good case can be made. Uh, the sayings, many of them are anachronistic. There's obviously making Jesus address issues that couldn't have existed in his day, uh, and, uh, and so forth. So it seems to me that a character who fits the mythic hero archetype of... Uh, the Buddha, Oedipus, uh, Hercules, and so on, all over the world. Uh, he might be historical, but there's no way to tell anymore. Now, that then has an impact on the disciples, so the apostles. Was there a Peter, a John, etc.? Could have been, but... Uh, 
is there's uh, the, the closest she can come to that. I mean, virtually nothing has told us about these guys. They're just straight men, and most of them don't even have that role. Uh, but Peter, for instance, he, he pops up quite a bit, but he's always just playing Dr. Watson to Jesus Sherlock Holmes for the benefit of the reader. Uh, he'll, uh, just to get the point out for the the reader, uh, Peter will say, Gee, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother? Is there seven? No, you idiot. <laughs> not seven, but 70 times seven. So, well, it's just like Dr. Watson. I say, Holmes, how did you figure that little Sally was the Shropshire Slasher? <laughs> Elementary, my dear Watson. It's the same thing, or, or the character of Ananda in the Buddhist stories, the, the loyal but stupid disciple who gives the Buddha a chance to set things straight for the reader's sake. So, um, most of them, the, the lists of names don't even quite agree, and the closest I can come to seeing any basis to these guys is, it's, I think it's sort of like Madame Blavatsky and the ascended masters from whom she pretended to receive a secret messages and uh it turns out that she had all these exotic names like Coot Humi and uh uh Moria L and all these guys that she claimed were Tibetan mystics and so forth well it turns out that they were all sort of puns uh and she was talking about people she actually knew colonel this and father that and she just sort of pumped them up into fictional figures uh, it's possible that uh, that's what happened in the uh, in the gospels that there may have been some church leader named Matthew or Peter or whatever and and he gets written into this thing uh to provide clout for him oh yeah you know uh, the bishop here was uh, he, he knew jesus so you know you better do what he says but even that's just speculation now finally with paul uh, there, uh, you have a, an interesting bit because there is uh, the live possibility that Paul is a title or an epithet, uh, and that, that, however, he did exist. And uh, because a lot of things said about him in the Book of Acts, especially, are so similar to things said in Josephus and others about Simon Magus, Simon of Gitta, Simon the Sorcerer, or whatever you want to call him. Uh, he's a uh, character in Acts and in Josephus. Uh, and it, uh, I think that uh, F.C. Bauer and Hermann Dettering and others are probably correct that Paul, in quotes, was the same as the Gnostic Simon Magus. Uh, and if so, he apparently was a historical character. But there's just no way to know unless there's some really shocking new discovery that could come to light. And maybe it'll happen. You know, maybe somebody will come up with a, an old manuscript of a letter where somebody says, uh, I uh, happened to be in uh, Nazareth the other day uh, and uh, heard the Rabbi Jesus, who had good things to say. Like if if we found a, a letter that was old enough and appeared authentic, that alone would be enough to establish that Jesus was a historical figure, and maybe it will turn up. But until it does, I think we really have no evidence. And stories of a man who walks on water, changes water into wine, uh, and things like that. Uh, these these are just obviously legendary. So, I mean, you know, I don't pretend to know that there couldn't be a supernatural. I, I have no way of knowing if miracles ever happen or not. But if you look at these stories, they're pretty obviously legendary. So, you know, the slim pickings in terms of uh, historical figures in, in the Bible, I think. 
Yeah, I'm still waiting for them to find Jesus's carpentry tools. <laughs> oh yeah, well probably somebody has. Uh, there was this uh, this great uh, joke series on uh, the radio a number of years ago now when um, Don Imus, uh, who's I don't know if he's still on TV or not, but he has been recently. Uh, he he did some real funny stuff when he was a disc jockey, and he did this uh, shtick where he was Billy Saul Hargis, uh, a kind of a rip off uh, media evangelist, and he would. Uh, have all these offers, he'd say, uh, most people know that Jesus worked in the carpenter shop, but what they don't know was that he made several full sets of living room and dining room furniture, <laughs> and Billy Paul has them here for you at a discount price, and he'd sell tickets to heaven aboard the wings of him, and all that. Well, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Justin Martyr did actually say, uh, in about 150, 175 A.D., that uh, there were some uh, people that still had implements that Jesus had made in the carpenter shop. So, you know, what are the chances of that? Not very high, but that, there probably is somebody that says they've got Jesus saw uh, or, or something. Uh. So, 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 uh, in your answer, Doctor, you were, you were talking about some, some, some high priests, the high priest, probably a real character, some minor kings in the Old Testament, and, and Pontius Pilate, uh, to name uh, just a, a few. Um, is it possible that these people were added in the story to give it credibility. Oh, yeah, I think so. In fact, the the ones we have, like Herod the Great, Caiaphas, Herod Antipas, and Pontius Pilate, I think that that is what happened, that these are attacks trying to affix Jesus to the timeline. And the reason that was necessary was that uh, he hadn't been a historical figure. This fits the otherwise very strange fact that there were Jewish and Christian sources, not a lot of them, uh, that placed Jesus about a hundred years earlier uh, and put his crucifixion in the time of King Alexander Genius, one of the Hasmonean kings. Uh, and uh, then on the other end of it, you've got um, Irenaeus, uh, church father in in Gaul, writing around 180 A.D., he says Jesus died at uh, around age 50 under the reign of the Emperor Claudius, which is, you know, it's just not the way it is in the New Testament. So how could people make such mistakes like this? It, it just seems to me that uh, you, you might have... Uh, a scenario where Jesus kept getting pushed up in history nearer the day of whatever generation of Christians were talking about him, uh, and this in order to provide clout for the church officials. You didn't want to lengthen the line separating your bishop from Jesus. Uh, you wanted to shorten it so that uh, there'd be more of a direct link. And so uh, my theory is that Jesus just kept getting pushed up in history, and finally the uh, the date. I mean, if everybody knew he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, where would you get these other guesses? I mean, you you can not even going to keep that straight. Uh, so it seems to me that there were different guesses at different times, and uh, probably Jesus finally gets attached to this particular time in history, and they stopped there. And that would mean that the connection with Pilate and the others is purely fictitious. We don't know this, right? I mean, I admit this is speculation. The problem is there's not much room for anything other than speculation. 
You know, I, I, I find it interesting because of, you're, you're the scholar, so you can tell me. Uh, it seems to me that if, if we go by the chronology of the one that's accepted anyway about Jesus' life and death, uh, he, he dies around the age of 30-someone, and, and then there's no real writing. There's a gap in time where nobody talks about him until Paul shows up, right, at about 50 AD, right? Uh, I believe that's about correct. Uh, supposedly, that's like the mainstream view, but yeah. uh, I have views even stranger than the ones I've mentioned. I tend to go along with uh, the so-called Dutch radical school of the 19th and early 20th centuries, who held that uh, none of the Pauline epistles we have are actually by Paul, but are some decades later. Uh, and uh, there were different people using his name. I mean, even within the epistles, it says, watch out for spurious letters as if by me, so we know there were such things. It may be that all of them were. And uh, the chronology is... is uh, it, it too, it's too dependent on the chronology of the Jesus stories. So I'm willing to accept that date for the historical Paul, but uh, it's, it's all pretty iffy. Well, what, what I find interesting is if, if Paul starts to write, and let's, let's accept the chronology just for argument's sake here, and Paul starts to write some 20 years after his supposed death, yet he doesn't mention absolutely nothing of what the other gospel mentioned about Jesus, you know, his, his, his birth and who he met and what he was like. This is all that comes much after in Mark. So I find it interesting that, you know, the first writings about Jesus don't really say anything about him. Yeah, I think that is really damning to the idea of a historical Jesus, uh, because, as you say, there's you would never guess from the, the letters of Paul, whoever wrote them, that Jesus was supposed to be uh, an itinerant teacher, an exorcist, a miracle worker, and healer. Uh, there, there's really none of that. In fact, there are about two places where... Uh, it, he's, Paul says, I say this by the word of the Lord, but in the context, it seems more likely he means he has a prophetic revelation, not a historical quotation. Uh, and at any rate, there's no way to determine which it meant. And so, is there really any Pauline picture of Jesus uh, other than that God sent him into the world, he died and rose in unspecified circumstances, uh, and he's at the right hand of God, that's uh, amazingly skimpy. Uh, I know there are the appearances mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, but again, if you don't uh, think of, if you don't read the Gospels in between the lines, uh, you don't really have anything other than uh, somebody in the Old Testament having a vision of God or an angel. It, it doesn't say that he was a historical character. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that's, I mean, how could he not have mentioned any of that stuff, because it's very easy to show that uh, that if the, many of the traditions, the sayings, etc., in the Gospels were circulating, as presumably they must have been if Jesus really said them or did those things, uh, they, if they're so relevant to the point addressed in the letter, like taxation, celibacy, uh, even speaking in tongues, uh, and, and so on, why would Paul not have settled the issue by saying, well, look, you can say what you want, but the Son of God said this. Enough said. That's the end of that. But uh, he 
doesn't. Why is that? Uh, and, and occasionally, uh, Paul will say something that sounds kind of like something in the Sermon on the Mount, maybe, but you can't assume he's quoting Jesus, especially since he doesn't say that he is, and surely he would have. right? It's more likely that uh, people picked up these sayings from the epistles and eventually said, oh, Jesus must have said this, and uh, started uh, peppering the Gospels with these, these sayings. Uh, so, yeah, I think that is... And, and the attempt to explain this away by conservative, conservative apologists seems to me just ludicrous. Um, I think James Dunn said that, uh, oh, well, uh, Paul did know that Jesus had said, let's say, uh, be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Uh, Jesus says something like that anyway. Uh, and uh, he, he just thought it would be more effective if he uh, just uh, left it tacit. Like, you know what I mean? Or like in the Monty Python skit, wink, <laughs> wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. Uh, that's absurd. That, that is ridiculous. Ridiculous, and uh, it's what, what else was going on? Well, he there was no such material available, or we'd have heard about it. And so, mythicists say, yeah, all this stuff was constructed to fill a gap once Jesus was made into a historical figure retroactively, to so that the the Catholic uh, Church and then the Gnostics alike could say, well, we didn't make this up. It goes back to Jesus. See, here's what he said. Uh, people still do that today. Uh, and uh, so uh, I think that, yeah, they, the whole, I think, I mean, let me be clear, this is not by any means proven, but it makes the most sense to me to say that Jesus was a mythical uh, character, and this is one of the big clues. You're right. Mm. Uh, now, no, something something kind of caught our attention, uh, Nancy and I, because you were talking. You, you said in, in your answer earlier on that uh, Jesus addresses issues not of his day. Now, that kind of caught my attention, especially if if the character is added on later on. Uh, what did, exactly did you mean by that? Well, one example would be from the Gospel of Thomas, which of course didn't make it into the the final cut. Example, anyway, the disciples asked Jesus, is it profitable to circumcise or not? And Jesus says, if it were, uh, then they would come already circumcised from their mother's womb. Now, is it possible to imagine that in a Palestinian Jewish context, somebody, Jews, would be raising the question of, is it worthwhile to be circumcised? It's, it's absurd. Nobody would question that. Uh, and, uh, if, however, if you think about the situation in the Mediterranean world that comes up in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, where you've got a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jewish pagans, converting to Christianity, do they have to get circumcised? Do they have to become Jews as well as Christians, so to speak? This is, uh, in fact, this, the same phrase appears uh, is in Romans. Is circumcision unprofitable then? And then he gives a kind of an evasive answer. Well, so it's pretty obvious that uh, this is uh, this was attributed to Jesus. Somebody's trying to win an argument. Somebody who was like a Pauline Christian is no, no, that's not important. It's it's Jewish identity, and that's fine. But that's not really germane to somebody becoming a Christian. Another one would be the mission charge, so-called Great Commission, in um, at the end of Matthew, where he says, going into all the world, make disciples of the nations, mm -hmm. baptizing them, etc., etc. 
if that's the parting shot of the resurrected Son of God, is it possible to imagine a dispute like in Acts chapter 10 and 11, where um, the Holy Spirit has to arm-twist Peter and say, look, get your butt out of here and go preach the gospel to the Roman centurion Cornelius. Uh, and they said, look, I do that. I, I can't associate unclean. He says, hey, in God's eyes, nobody's unclean. Get moving. And so he does, and he's preaching to these, these Romans, and suddenly the Holy Spirit falls on them and, and all this. How could he have any doubt? If the last thing Jesus had said is get out there and preach to Gentiles, well, it's obvious that the Great Commission is the product of this debate. Somebody, like the author of Acts, has the Holy Spirit give Peter a vision, but somebody decided to one-up him and have the resurrected Jesus command the mission. And uh, there, there are other things like that uh, where uh, you, you have Jesus, or uh, the, maybe the most glaring of all in the Gospel of John, uh, in chapter 9, we have the story of the man born blind, healed by Jesus, and uh, he's, uh, he, he's a big fan of Jesus and gets kicked out of the synagogue for it. And his parents won't even defend him because they're scared they're going to get excommunicated. Well, seven chapters later, at the Last Supper, Jesus says, uh, the time is coming when they will exclude you from their synagogues and, and so on. Wait a minute, that time's already here, isn't it? We just saw it happen seven chapters ago. So you, you, even within the same gospel, you have this gross anachronism, and it's not just stupid storytelling. The point is, uh, this is a kind of a wink to the reader to say, this is uh, what we think Jesus would say, uh, addressing this issue in our day. And, and there are other things like that as well, it seems to me. Wow, okay. Okay, well, that, that was a great answer. Thank you. But um, I, I, I have another question. As we know the, uh, the four Gospels, everybody knows about them, but I think the vast majority of people out there are not, are not aware of the other Gospels, the ones that didn't make the cut. Why is it in your estimation that these Gospels didn't quite make it there? Well, uh, it's easy to tell why they wouldn't have. Uh, some of them had doctrines that the framers of the canon didn't like, like the Nag Hammadi uh, documents, the Gnostic Library discovered in 1945 in Egypt. Uh, a lot of that stuff is really weird stuff, hard to read even in a good translation. It's very mystical and mythical and uh, they're not even Gospels in the, the typical sense. They're barely narrative at all, and they're like a, like a press conference between Jesus and his disciples about these esoteric doctrines, like what to say to the angels when your soul is ascending after death, and this and that. Uh, very strange stuff. Fascinating, but very strange. Some of them just must have seemed ridiculous, like the infancy Gospels, of which we know of about uh, three or four, uh, where Jesus, it's like Jesus the menace, I like to call it, where uh, <laughs> Jesus as a kid uh, is, um, oh, uh, the, he's uh, helping his idiot dad in the carpenter shop. Um, Joseph has to make a throne for some local official, and the guy is so inept he can't get the chair legs the same length. 
uh, and so he's wasting all this wood. Well, Jesus comes in and uh, he says, well, I'll take care of this, and lengthens the chair legs to make them all equal. And Joseph said, well, what a lucky guy I am, and uh, and uh, things like that. And uh, other ones where Jesus is out playing with his little buddies uh, on the playground, and one of them runs into him, uh, hits him in the shoulder, and Jesus says to him, you will go no further on your way, and the kid drops dead. Uh, Another one, he's on the roof of an abandoned building with uh, his friend Zeno, who falls down and dies, and Jesus has apparently killed so many kids in the neighborhood that the the kid's parents assume he pushed him, and so uh, they're accusing him, and Jesus says, look, I didn't push him over. Zeno, come back to life and tell him I didn't kill you and he does and so come on i mean it's so ridiculous you can i mean they're fascinating but you can see how there was there must have been a principle of some things are just too embarrassing uh and um so they're they're all fascinating and there were many more that i wish we still had uh but uh i i have to admit i i don't think uh we're missing any gems that, uh, at least from the ones we know about, but except maybe the Gospel of Thomas, that has a lot to say. It's it's gnostic, but it's not all that bizarre, and they're really interesting, arresting sayings in that one. Huh. Okay, perfect. Wow, uh, time goes by already, real fast. Well, thank you so much, Doctor Price, for all your uh, your wisdom and your knowledge here. Uh, my God, uh, but the mic is all yours, sir. Be shameless. Plug yourself. Go right ahead. Where can they find you? Well, I have a website, uh, Robert M. Price. There's no spaces or anything. Uh, um, uh, let's see. Uh, dot mindvendor. Dot com. Mindvendor is M I N D V E N D O R. Is it Robert M. Price at mindvendor.com, I guess. Yeah, and uh, that's got all this stuff I've written over the years. And uh, uh, I also am on Patreon. And so uh, I, uh, I'm sort of always, this is an odd predicament to be in. I kind of live on a wing and a prayer, but I don't pray, so I'm just <laughs> winging it. And I welcome support. And, and luckily, I've got uh, loyal listeners to the, the Bible geek and so on. Um, and uh, contributions are appreciated. Uh, you can listen to uh, my podcast, The Bible Geek, and uh, if you just Googled it, you'd find it. I can't remember all the uh, .coms and stuff. Uh, but um, in uh, my podcast, The Human Bible, is available only to Patreon uh, patrons. I have uh, books out. I've mentioned a bunch. Um, my latest one out is called Holy Fable, uh, the Old Testament undistorted by faith. Ooh. And then, uh, oh, in about six months or so, Volume 2, Holy Fable, the New Testament undistorted by faith, will be out from Intellectual Press. And it's, it'll be on Amazon. The first one already is. And this is a kind of a... Uh, Oh, brief introduction to and commentary on virtually every book in the Bible and some that didn't make it. Uh, so that's that's a kind of a fun one. That's uh, a, re- a recent one I put out was uh, blaming Jesus for Jehovah, uh, which deals with the question of can you really let Jesus off the hook as the good cop uh, if Jehovah uh, in in the Old Testament was the bad cop commanding genocide? I mean, if you believe in the Trinity or not, they really, you know, 
tied together and so that's that's sort of a harsh polemic i have to admit and uh oh they're you could look on amazon i got loads of uh books on there fantastic fantastic and then uh, we'll make sure that everybody goes uh, there and we'll put this in the notes on of the show but before i let you go uh, dr price can i get you to say hi i'm robert m price and i took a left at the valley <laughs> and I am Robert M. Price and took a left at the valley, me and the other goats. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Robert M. Price. That was fascinating. That was fun. That was awesome. That really, I, I, you know, being so naive about biblical things, there's a lot I don't know, but his tying things in in terms of whether certain things that Jesus said was relevant to mm-hmm. the time or was stuck in there to um, confirm a particular point, you know, exactly. a strategy rather than, you know. And, and the man is so knowledgeable. Him. All he had no, to do yeah. is ask him a question and just let him go. Just let him go. And yes. he's, he's spewing all this information. And my God. So, so you know, conclusion, Adam and Eve didn't exist. And uh, it seems like King David is not much of evidence for that. So the whole Jesus thing really comes into doubt. You know, it's like, come on. Yeah. If he's Adam and Eve, there's no, re- there's no original sin, no reason for Jesus. If there was no King David then, you know, the whole descendant of David thing kind of falls apart too. It is, and I, I really enjoyed, thank you for asking that question, Kevin, about what characters yes. are real and I, what characters weren't real. I was sort of prepared for, you know, a, 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 a lively but scholarly, mm-hmm. but he made it so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, and so, 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 so we had him and Richard yeah. Carrier and David Fitzgerald. We have the trifecta we of the sure mythicists. Have. That's we that's sure fantastic. Have. So yeah. we'll need to bring them back for sure. Yeah. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, good guest. Really good, <laughs> interesting guest. We ought to invite him back a time or seven or eight. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We'll have him back for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show. And you can find us on uh, leftofthevalley.com or you can find us at uh, on Facebook, on uh, Twitter at LATV Podcast. You can send us an email at leftofthevalleyoutlook.com. Come who's, on. who's coming up next week? You know what? I'm not. I don't even have my schedule. I don't even know. I'm not sure. Oh, I'll, a surprise! I'll be surprised. Surprise! I'll be surprised. But we do. I do remember that we do have Daryl Ray, and we're also talking with David Smalley of uh, Dogma okay. Debate. Hopefully, we can bring him back. We had him once on before. Let's bring him back. We, we want to talk about these uh, these uh, tiny thinker books. Oh, okay. Little books of uh, science for kids. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Well, yeah. so should be fun. Absolutely. Interesting. Anything else you guys want to add? That's about it. Everybody have a good week. Excellent. We'll see you next week. Until next time. Intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil. What a fucked up statement. Do you realize what you're saying? But according to your book, this is how your God made me. Skeptical of anything that contradicts history, denies evolution, hates science, promotes mystery. I'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance. Rather be alone than surrounded by damn idiots. As long as there's a breath in my body, you can bet your last dollar. Culture, only true on a regional scale. Science is universal. Were you to say that Horus isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them? I think the reason is apparent. You do what you're told.
around and believe in the God assigned by your parents. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. Let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God, they get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best to keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business, he loves money too much We know that they love the kids, but how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them, we teaching them to respect them the system is broke down, working backwards And the only action or tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them The parties of God's hands are bloodstained Millions of murders by believers And they're all in God's name And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be a